Hi, I'm Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church, and we want to welcome you to our service. And whether you're watching online, you're here in person, we're glad that you've joined us. I want to start off by reading a, a, a scripture that many of you are familiar with, especially uh, this time of year. It comes from Luke chapter 2, and this is what we read in the Passion Translation. That night in a field near Bethlehem, shepherds were watching over their flocks. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with blazing glory of God. And the shepherds were terrified. But the angel reassured them, saying, Don't be afraid, for I have come to bring you good news, the most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. And you will recognize him by this miraculous sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Then all at once in the night sky, a vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armors, armies of heaven. And they all praised God saying, glory to God in the highest. For there is peace and good hope given to the sons of men. A few years ago, I was getting ready to do a Christmas series and preparing uh, it in advance, and I was looking for something that uh, would be intriguing and inviting and a little bit different. I came across a unique modern-day uh, rendition of the Christmas story. And you know the narrative. Mary is pledged to be married to Joseph, and something comes up. There's a wrench thrown into the plans. One day, she's just minding her own business, and she turns around and hears this angel. And the angel tells Mary that she will be with child, a child placed in her womb by God. And of course, as you expect, the, this miraculous event complicates things, especially her relationship with Joseph. Now, the video actually begins with Mary at the kitchen table trying to explain to Joseph that she was visited by an angel and what the angel had said about the child that she is carrying. And as you'd expect, the conversation doesn't go so well. Joe's not buying. Angry and upset, Joseph storms out of the house and goes for a long walk to process what Mary's, Mary has just told him. He's walking a long time and is not paying attention, but he's been there before, but he finds himself deep in the woods. And as he's walking along, he hears voices, and the voices get closer and closer. And he sees two children arguing out there in the middle of nowhere. But he's not going to stop. He's got his own issues to worry about and to think through. But as he's walking by them, he realizes that they are talking about him. And they are talking about how to tell him what has happened to him and to Mary. That gets his attention. And he stops and he listens to the conversation. And it becomes quite clear to him that these are not mere children. In fact, these are angels. And these angels begin to talk with Joseph, and they're able to convince him that what has occurred is indeed a God thing, that Mary has told him the truth, and as soon as he hears that, he realizes right then, there, right then and there that he's got trouble at home, 
and he needs to go back and try to make things right with Mary. So Joseph turns to go back home, and as he does so, he stops and he turns to the angels and he asks this question. Why is God doing this? Why is he, this child, coming? And the camera zooms in on these two little angel faces, and they look at each other, and they smile. Then they turn to Joseph, and one of them says these words, you have no idea of how, how really great this is going to be. I want to talk about that question that, that Joseph asked. I want to talk about this issue, why? Mostly because we've heard this story so many times, we know how it ends, and sometimes we jump ahead and we don't actually take in the story. And sometimes we hear something so many times we forget the power it contains. We say we know why, but do we really know why? Why did Jesus come? And what was this great thing that was going to come out of the Christmas story? Now, the obvious answer, the typical response when asked that would be something along the line that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And that would be totally true. That answer is true. Um, we know the Christmas story. We know that the angel said to the shepherds as they watched their flocks by night, these words, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior. In the Gospel of Matthew, where we find the other Christmas narrative, Joseph is told to name the baby, to give the baby the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Paul, the Apostle Paul, tells us in 1 Timothy 1.15 those exact words. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So it's true, Jesus came to save us from our sins. But if we say just that, and we don't build around it, it can kind of give the impression that Jesus was simply coming as a kind of rescue operation. It can come across that Jesus went because it was his job, it was what he was asked to do, and so he had to come. And he had to come. Why? Because we screwed up, and Jesus needs to bail us out. We mess things up, and Jesus sent, is sent in to clean up our mess. And I've been in church my whole life, and sometimes that's the way it's kind of presented. It gives the impression, usually, that God is up in heaven, and God is angry, and he is ticked. And it pictures a God who is so enraged that he's going to come down and pour out his anger on somebody, if not everybody. That God is irritated with humanity. And he's up there venting and, and going on about what maybe they should do. And then Jesus kind of raises his hands up and says, um, um, hey, um, dad, uh, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll make it right. In that kind of context, Jesus comes into the world kind of as a lightning rod to deflect God's wrath off of us and onto himself. And because of that, we escape God's judgment. And over the years, I've heard a lot of people frame it that way. I've heard a lot of pastors present the gospel that way. But it's important that we don't miss this narrative out of Luke. The angel comes to the shepherds who are watching their flocks at night, and the angel says these words, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. If this is just a rescue operation, an escape clause, 
and Jesus steps in at the last moment and saves the day, it might just be me, but to me, that doesn't sound like great news. It doesn't sound, it sounds more like kind of a stretch to say that's a great thing that's going to bring great joy. It's more like, wow, man, that was close. We dodged a bullet, but we got lucky. That lightning bolt barely missed us. We're so fortunate. We got our hands slapped, but we squeaked by. We're in. In that kind of context, it's like from Jesus, we get this get out of jail free card. He posts our bail and we get off and we get out. We still get to play too. We get to stay in the game. We get to roll the dice. We get to go again. In this kind of context, it's not the most amazing, beautiful news you've ever heard. It's good news. It's a relief. But it's not amazing. And the gospel is supposed to be exactly that. So don't, don't miss this. The picture of God in that kind of setting isn't very complimentary, is it? A God so taken with rage that somebody's going to bleed, somebody's going to pay. Who's it going to be? And Jesus, in Isaiah 6, 8, steps up, raises his hand and says, here am I, send me. It makes you grateful for Jesus, but grateful for the Father, not so much. There was a pastor who was sharing the gospel, and he wanted to communicate what Jesus had done for us. So he told a story, a true story, about two children and their mom who lived in a house with a husband and father who was an abusive, raging, and violent alcoholic. Many uh, weekend, the father would come home drunk and angry, looking for a fight. And many a night, the eldest son would go down to meet his dad at the front door and intentionally provoke his father. And as a result, the father would beat him. And then the father would pass out on the couch and sleep for the night. The authorities came and, and took the family, including the mother, out of that horrific situation. And the eldest son was asked why so often he would meet his dad at the front door knowing in doing so he would be beaten. And he said, it hurt me less to be beaten than it did to see my mother or my younger brother get beaten. And then the pastor said these words. So the, so the son took the beating himself. Now that's a beautiful illustration of the love and the sacrifice of a son. And it's a thing we call a type of Christ. It's very Christ-like. And it's a good story about a son, but it's not much of a good story about the father. And the pastor was painting the picture uh, of the gospel, how Jesus intervenes on our behalf because of our sin. And I want you to know that is biblically true. That is there. But I want you to understand that the picture of God the Father isn't very endearing, is it? A God full of rage and wrath. And just in time, Jesus steps in, takes it on the chin on our behalf. It makes you grateful for Jesus, but not so much for an angry God. It's kind of hard to put your arms around that kind of father. I grew up in Methodist church and we had a hymnal and there was several hymns that I still know by heart today. I loved a lot of those old songs. And one of them is this kind of song. It says, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. But God the Father kind of freaks me out. And um, <laughs> that's kind of the thing I want you to get here is what's being drawn for us. And 
this is odd that we would love Jesus and yet fear God. There's a disconnect there. Martin Luther, the great reformer, admitted that he loved Jesus, but he was terrified of God the Father. And, and folks, I've been around long enough, I've seen that time and time again. There's this huge emphasis on the negativity of us and that negativity being us as sinners separated from God. And it's true. And you might say, Greg, Greg, come on. If, if we don't know Christ, isn't the hell res the result of that? Isn't sin and separation of God because of that? Yes, but there's a tension there. When, when you were a kid, did you have siblings growing up? I'm the oldest of seven. And once in a rare, rare while, I would mistreat my siblings, okay? And, and, but, and they were smart enough to know that if they had me, they wanted to make sure I got nailed, okay? If they had something they could rat me out, they were gonna be all over it. But there was this thing that they did, and what they did is they started, they turned around, they started heading home, and then they would get to a, what they thought was a safe place. The safe place meant they had enough time to get, they're gonna say something, but they have enough time to get back home first, okay? And they would say something that went like this, you're gonna get it. You're gonna get it. Hmm. There are some of you here today that have a difficult time accepting the grace and love of God that we have in Jesus Christ because you feel like you're gonna get it. You've convinced yourself that you don't deserve God's grace and his love because you can't let go of the past. You're always looking over your shoulder of the things that you feel disqualified you. You don't deserve God's grace, his love. You don't deserve his or anyone else's forgiveness. And you say things like this to yourself. And sometimes out loud, if you only knew what I've done, if you only knew the mistakes I've made, if you've only known, uh, knew the people I've hurt, and you've got all this baggage and all these hurts and all these regrets, and you have convinced yourself you're not worthy. And you're gonna get it is what you think, and you think you deserve it. The gospel is not so much about what we deserve or what we've done. It's more about the fresh, clean start that God gives us and where Jesus is going to bring us. The good news is not so much about what Jesus saved us out of. It is more about what Jesus saves us into. Here's the deal. Very important and very interesting. If we're not careful and we keep framing God the Father and God the Son differently, we're going to see that we've actually created two different things. If, in fact, we see this loving Jesus and frame this way, it's very different from a raging father. And in that kind of scenario, it's almost like they're polar opposites. A loving Jesus comes to protect us from a vengeful father. And it's very interesting, but it's not very accurate. It's odd because Jesus tells us that the one of the things that he came to do was to reveal the Father to us. In John 14, what we know as the upper room discourse, Jesus is giving his final instructions, preparing his disciples for what is about to come. 
And the disciples have no idea what's just around the next corner, even though Jesus has been preparing them for it. What's coming are things like betrayal, desertion, a beating, a mock trial, another beating, and ultimately crucifixion. In verse 6, he says these words, very familiar to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but by me. But listen to the critical words in verse 7, the very next verse. Jesus says, if you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip, he gets excited. We know who you are, but we would like to see the Father. If you would show us the Father, that would be totally rad. Show us the Father. And they're looking around, thinking that God the Father is going to walk in. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Remember Joseph? The angel told him in a dream, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love how John penned this fact and its importance in the first chapter of his gospel. And I'm going to read it from the message because it reads so well. It starts off by saying the word was uh, with God, the word was God. And then it says, and the word became flesh. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. We call this the incarnation, that Jesus was the God-man, 100% God and 100% man. One theologian said it this way, Jesus is skin on the face of God, and that means what Jesus, what God did in Christ is he put some skin into the game. But they're the same. So when you think of God as the avenger and Jesus as the protector, do you see there's a problem there? When you see God as the one who's about to stomp on you and you see Jesus as the one who will step in for you, something's not quite right. Years ago, I was driving, heading north in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I wasn't paying attention. You ever do that where you just kind of drive along, you got a list to do, and you're just driving. And I just happened to catch with my, I looked just to the left, and coming my way in the next, the other lane uh, was a patrol officer, and um, I wasn't paying attention. So you know what I did instinctively? I did what? That's right. I let up on the gas and slowed down. Why? Because I was afraid I was speeding. When I looked in the rearview mirror, he puts his brake lights on, and then he flips on his red and blues, and then makes an immediate U-turn, and he's coming up from behind me at a quick and strong speed, all right? And so what did I do then? I buckled my seatbelt. Um, <laughs> Why well, get a second ticket? Oh, but guess what? He pulls right up behind me, and then goes around me on his way to some other crisis or emergency. And you know what I did after that? I celebrated because I was relieved that I wasn't going to get it. How many of you have ever done that? You see a cop and you slow down right away. Uh, thank you. And for those of you who didn't raise your hand, uh-huh. <laughs> but see, if you're going the speed limit and doing what's right, you shouldn't be afraid. 
Throughout the Bible, anytime um, God sends people a message, he just sends an angel, and the first thing the angel has to say right away is, chill, fear not, it's going to be okay. And that's the first words out of the mouth almost every time. Why? Because we have this sense of dread. That God, some of us have to admit this, that God really has it in for us, and I've earned it. I should get it. We have this tendency to fear God. But listen to this verse. This verse is so powerful. It's from 1 John. We have no need to fear. We have no need of fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loves us. It's a great verse. It says a lot. John's simply saying this. When we get to know God, when we lean in, when we're up close and personal, we will get to know God. We'll get to know his heart. And as we get to know his heart, we find out, we realize that we are deeply loved by him. And we will not be afraid. Now, you might say, well, what about the fear of the Lord? First of all, I believe in the fear of the Lord, a reverence of the Lord, of holding God in awe and high esteem. But don't miss this. This whole context of 1 John is not about fear of punishment. And John is very explicit in that. What he's saying is this God is a God who's full of joy and love for us. I want to open the door and give us a what we call sometimes a peekaboo of God, the Father. We began with a question. Why did Jesus come? Why did God send his son? And if you think about it, if you really think about it, you'll find it to be profound. It's amazing. It's humbling. It's encouraging. It's all about the Father's joy. Christmas is all about the Father's joy. I was thinking about this. I have four kids. I remember, if you were here, all of you who are mothers or fathers, if you, with the birth of your child, were you upset because you had a bill sitting at home at the mailbox? Were you upset because of something that happened at work? Were you fearful about what tomorrow was going to bring? No. You were just absolutely taken in by the child that you held. It was a miracle. I said, this can't be our baby. I'm part of this. That baby's beautiful. We just, we just, you're so overwhelmed. When I talk to somebody, we have a gal in the church uh, staff and her name is Jessica. And I think she's going to have a baby anytime. Um, I mean, any, anytime. And I, and I was telling her husband, Derek, dude, this is, you will not believe it. When you look at that child, you, you will not believe how instantaneously you are overwhelmed and full of love for that child and full of joy. That's Christmas. That, that's Christmas. Jesus came not to protect us from a raging father, but to reveal to us an unbelievably beautiful, joy-filled, loving, and wonderful father who absolutely is taken by us and can't believe that he gets to do life with us. It's about joy. 
We need to see that the Father is himself full of joy. This whole thing of, of Christmas, yes, to redeem us, and that's part of it, and it's a great part of it. But the best part of it is that we get God. It's God who steps towards us and embraces us. It was so that God the Father could share himself with us. To save us, yes, but to save us from anything that would prevent us from experiencing the fullness of joy and love and life that come from being in relationship with him. I close with this story, and I've shared it before, but I couldn't find a story that I think drives this home more than this one. Years back, um, when we were living on Lincoln, Yvonne's parents came up to spend a few days with us. And on the morning, uh, they came that night. The next morning, my son Jake, Josh, and I were heading out early to do some things we had to take care of. And I mean early. And I asked Josh, I realized I forgot something else. I said, Josh, I want you to back out the car and I'll be right out. When I came out, uh, Josh met me and he had this look of fear in his eyes. And when he had backed out the car, he didn't notice that my father-in-law's car was also in the driveway and he wasn't paying attention and he hit his grandfather's car. And it was my grandfather, my father-in-law's new car, not brand new, but new to him. And Josh dinged it up pretty good. To say I wasn't happy would be an understatement. I was furious. I was fuming. You got to understand, I had four teenage drivers at that time. And in about six months span, we had six to eight, maybe even nine fender bender accidents and stuff like that. I came unglued. I unload. I verbally just puked all over him. And I berated my son. I was so upset. And then I added these words. When we get back, you get to tell your grandpa what you did. You're going to get it. When we got back, I said, let's go. Grandpa was sitting in the kitchen. He was at the kitchen table. He was drinking coffee, talking to Yvonne. Josh comes in, all of 16. So he starts telling grandpa what he did. And Josh is our tender kid, okay? Big tears were running down his face, crying. And I was thinking of this. You know, he was crying. He was afraid that his grandpa was like his dad. Grandpa gets up from his chair, shaking his head. Josh, 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 it's, a, it's just a car. We can fix the car, it's okay. And then with a big, genuine smile on his face, Grandpa gives Josh his, his signature bear hug. My father-in-law had this way of hugging you, and it was like you, you hugged a chiropractor who was also a miracle man because everything just fell into adjustment, and you felt so good. And he hugs him, and he hugs him for a long time. And Josh wept. And my father-in-law takes Josh to the kitchen table with his arm around him. And 
just converses with them and enjoys the moment and takes in being able to sit at a table with his grandson who he absolutely loves and who brings him tremendous joy. Through faith in Christ, there's a lot of things you get. Your sins are forgiven. You are made clean. You're right with God. Heaven will be your home. And all of that is true. And it should be true for you too. And you should be grateful for it. But it's more than that. You've been brought into a personal relationship with your creator. It was nothing you did. It was all accomplished by the father who stepped towards us. This loving God who embraces us as his beloved and invites us into this love, joy-filled relationship. He couldn't be more proud of you. He couldn't love you any deeper. The angel said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And there in that story, folks, of Christmas, two gifts are exchanged. God gives you a gift of himself, but the gift that he gets in return is you. Is you. That is the good news that should cause all of us great joy. Glory. 
before I pray and let you go. We as a church value prayer, and um, we want to start this Monday getting you ready for uh, the Christmas season. I don't know about you, but Christmas has come, and then they go so quickly. I feel like sometimes I miss it, and um, if you do that uh, and you want to change that, we'll ha we have a three-day kind of devotional thing that's available for you. You just go to our website. You click it up, and it's going to have a front page, and up there you'll see the word pray, and if you click that, you can download um, the devos uh, for the next three days, and Eva has a little, a little thing you can click to remind you each day. Um, he loves us, and we bring him tremendous joy, and he gives us the gift of himself, and yet he thinks, the, he, thinks he got the better of the two because he got us. Merry Christmas, let's pray. Father, thank you for being a God who redeems us, <clears throat> who forgives us, who gives us a fresh start. But also, thanks for being a God who loves us deeply and wants only the very best for us, who never leaves us, who is always faithful even when we are faithless. We love you, we thank you for coming at Christmas and for the life you give us, and getting, getting to do life with you, we're grateful. Amen. Have a great week.